listening to the most original talk radio station anywhere. We are L.A. Talk Radio at latalkradio.com. You're listening to State of the Arts with Michael Sterling and Paul Strolley right here on L.A. Talk Radio. the only good-looking man in the house today. Really? Yeah. Really? Well, yeah. I am Michael Sterling. <laughs> You're the other good-looking <laughs> yes, man. Yes. Then we have another one to my left, and we have a gorgeous lady. Yes, we do. To your yes, right. This it's is Michael Sterling. I, and yeah, Hello, Michael. How are you? Good. It's good to see you. Nice to see You're you, You're looking too, especially Paul. jaunty today. I you am? have your autumnal colors on. The, yeah, the khaki green. The, yeah, it's nice. I like this kind of cold weather. The you know as fall comes into full swing and uh, we have well, a little rain LA, and an LA fall anyway. An LA fall. LA, yeah, well, LA fall. you know we like LA falls, right? Yeah. Which now, if it rains good. more than it has, you'll see a different side of me come out. I won't like yes. it. I was in Phoenix this weekend, and I have a story to tell about that. Speaking oh, of weather, really? But uh, we'll get to that when we get to that. All right. We'd like to thank our sponsor, Breakdown Services, the entertainment industry standard used around the world, providing the most professional means to reach talent agents as well as actors when casting a project. To learn more about Breakdown Services, please visit BreakdownExpress.com. We'd also like to acknowledge PerformingArtsLive.com, one of the Internet's most prominent listing sources for the live arts in Southern California. We're grateful to Performing Arts Live for lending their support to our weekly live arts calendar. And Michael, fill us in on who our first guest is yeah, today. Indeed I will. Joining us, uh, Paul, in studio today, an actor, writer, and director whose work has been internationally acclaimed. He created and performed the Obie Award-winning A. Huey P. Newton Story and adapted it into a Peabody Award-winning telefilm directed by his longtime colleague, Spike Lee. Currently receiving rave reviews for his work in One and John, please welcome, ladies and gentlemen, Roger Guinevere Smith. Welcome, welcome. Good to have you. All of those millions out there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Odd, yeah. That, odd that you brought them with you, though, I thought. <laughs> yes, but don't applaud while driving on the 405. It's not healthy. I don't think it's well, legal. Well, yeah, because what would they do with their cell phones? <laughs> right, exactly, <laughs> exactly. And we also, in addition to having Roger with us today, we also have Sheena Metal with us. And Sheena, you are doing so many things that I said, you know what, I'm not even going to try to write a description <laughs> for you. Right. Just, uh, you said you have how many shows on LA Talk Radio? I do Radio? four shows at LA Talk Radio. Three are weekly and one is every day. Oh, okay. Every weekday. And you're, later on in the show, you're going to tell us about uh, something non-radio oriented, right. a live theater piece that you're, or, or play actually. Right. I'm doing Last Summer at Bluefish Cove, at, uh, right now at the Lounge Theater. We were at the Stella Adler for a preview run, and now okay. we're doing a six-week run at the Lounge. At the Lounge. Love that space. Nice. That's the one right, yeah. is that right on Hollywood Boulevard? Uh, Santa Monica. Santa Monica. It's on Theater Row. Oh, okay. It's, it's a very cool. Yeah, very it's beautiful. Cool. It's on Theater Row, but it's not the, it's not the complex. It's a, like, it's, right. it, it's... It's expanding Theater yes. Row, I it's think. It's expanding Theater Row, It's becoming all yes. of Santa Monica, okay. which is beautiful. Okay. The more theaters, the better. Exactly. Well, exactly. you know, it's like downtown, where Roger's doing his show as well. Yes. It's, it's That's a the great Los spot. Angeles Center for the Arts, isn't it? The, the arts. beautiful theaters. Yes. Los Angeles I, well, the arts Latino. Center. Yes, the Latino Center. But where right? was it? It was somewhere before that, though. Was it at the Kirk Douglas? It did it previously at the Kirk Douglas Theater okay. in Culver City. It's beautiful, and, too. Uh, it's now at Los Angeles Theater Center. Theater Center, and it's Thank produced you. by the Latino Theater Company. Okay. And that's right on Spring Street, 514 South Spring Street, yeah. between 5th and 6th in really? downtown Los Angeles. Have you ever he, thought he of doing radio? Streets. Yeah. I think I'm doing it now. <laughs> yes, you are. <laughs> <laughs> and very well. I yeah, don't do it too well. Don't do it too well. Because yeah. okay. we can't... But, um, yeah, but the, the, the Henry Huang uh, Theater is, is down there. Am I saying that right? That's David right. David Henry Huang. Which yeah, is that's so something you want to get right. 
He actually has a new play on Broadway now. I Does understand. It? Called yeah. Chinglish. 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 It's a comedy. It is. Yes. And he's now. Uh, what was in? The, what was the thing that we review that we didn't even? We either reviewed it or we promoted it. We, I don't know which was the well, one. Well, we had Tim Dang as a guest. Okay, West that's Flair, what it was. And okay. That's the theater, of course, that they use. That's their home. That was the same time we had Suzanne Wang with us, right? That was the same episode? Yes. It was our all-Asian was. episode, it wasn't was. it? Yes. It was. Yes. It was our unintentionally all-Asian episode. Yeah. Yes. So how was your week? It was good. Yeah? I, I, yeah. I mean, it was busy, uh, as usual. Great opening at the nightclub last night, and... and uh, Kenny Cragen came in. Do you do you remember Kenny Cragen, one of the great personal managers in the entertainment business? Lionel Richie and all the major Beautiful. stars. He and his wife just uh, kind of found out about us. We I have a supper club, Roger, in Studio City. What would the name of that place be? Sterling's Michael? upstairs at Vitello's. Okay. Beautiful. And, yeah. Well, yes. And where's that located? In uh, in the beautiful <laughs> Tahunga Village. On, uh, yes. You're embarrassing me now, Paul. No, it's okay. No, we are dedicated to presenting the best of Broadway performers in concert, nightclub artists, great American songbook type music. And uh, we always have an interesting crowd, you know, that comes in. So a lot of the industry comes in and, and sees these these lovely performers. And uh, a friend of uh, Sheena's is going to be headlining sure. for us. December 11th. Yes. Miss Taya Gill. Miss Taya Gill. Oh, okay. Yeah. Ooh. Very excited about I'll that. So on. you went to Arizona. I, I went to Arizona. Went I to understand, Arizona. too, that you... See my dad? Yeah. Yeah. I drove heard. there. Drove back. My ass is a pancake. Yeah. But that happens after 40 anyway. But uh, really? it was. Uh, speak for yourself. It's a long. It was a long, it's a long mm. drive out there. It's it's and it's and it's just so interesting. The desert, you know. Actually, I love that drive. It's very zen-like. It's very therapeutic. Mm-hmm. And after when you're in LA so much and you're just assaulted with words everywhere you look, to have that desert drive is just really cool. Yeah. So I enjoyed that. And I understand you had an incident. I didn't have an incident. With, I just had the, the crazy uh, fudge, fudge lady. lady. Yeah. yeah. My dad took me to this ghost town thing, and it was all touristy. And there was a lady who was like. She's a bit of a fudge, you know, junkie. And she was working behind the counter, and she was very sweet, and she was very nice, and she was just like, oh, no, you should try the praline. The praline is very good. The maple is good. Maples actually are a big mover, and it's $3.50 for a quarter of a pound, but if you buy four, you get a break, so it's like a $4. And I'm like, great, okay, I'll try the <laughs> I'll try the peanut butter and chocolate. And I said, so I'll just go mm. home, and I'll, uh, I'll, I'll put this in my... In my refrigerator, when she goes, oh Christ, no! <laughs> just like, went from meek. To, she uh, went from meek to maniacal. Yeah. I was like, I'll just put it in my refrigerator. Oh sweet mother of God, no! Refrigerators kill fudge. And then she went on this rant about how people don't know how to care for their fudge. And I'm sort of backing away toward the door, and I'm just like, thanks for bringing me to the ghost town, Dad. <laughs> yeah. Wow. And then and then and then she ended the whole thing by I said, okay, well I'll be sure not to put it in my refrigerator or whatever, and I'll be sure not to put it in the freezer freezer. And she goes, oh. Oh, no, that's fine. So, <laughs> freezer's <laughs> like, okay. yes, yes, very un. We have a phone call. We do. We do have a phone call. Should I take it? I, if you recognize throw, the number. Throw, well, it's from Chicago. It's a 312. Let's give it an answer. 312 Chicago. Who's calling in? Who You are on yes. State of the Arts. Who are we speaking to? Okay, no one, I guess. Hello? Okay. You are on. You are on State of the Arts. Who are we speaking to? Uh, this is uh, Kevin Tice calling, uh, long-time <laughs> listener, first-time caller. Oh, okay. Uh, thank you for calling, Kevin. What are you calling State of the Arts about? Uh, well, I, I was listening to your program last week, and you had a great 
great story on, but uh, he totally screwed up the, the details of oh, it, so I felt I compelled to, this to call be, in. This would be my story of the parrot that I told last week, Michael. Do you remember the parrot I do. story? So yes. you screwed that up again? I did. What, what did I not have right, uh, uh, avid listener? Well, it's 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 really hard to know where to begin. I mean, <laughs> you you tell the story. It's about a it's about a parrot, and he lands on the table, and he's eating a bowl of nuts, That's and true. he's talking to yes. himself, and and I really don't know where to start. First of all, it wasn't a parrot. It wasn't a parrot. Okay. No, 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 no. She she raises dachshunds, see, oh. <laughs> and uh, and they don't speak so much as they recite Chaucer. I see. see. Okay. All yeah. right. <laughs> and uh, and I don't have a wife or. Or a sister-in-law. So oh, okay. other than that, and, great story. And somehow that news fails to disquiet me. But we thank you so much for calling in. <laughs> and, uh, no, it's it's my pleasure. Very, very, very grateful for it. <laughs> let me ask you, have you ever been to uh, Scottsdale, Arizona? And have you worked in a, uh, in a uh, tourist attraction <laughs> exactly. there? Exactly. Or do you have a relative that does? Uh, no, no, but uh, I, I know this guy who uh, who used to ride down there on his motorcycle and his ass would just be a pancake by the end of the yeah. trip. <laughs> okay, so that answers my question that you were listening to the first part of our broadcast. Thank you so much, Avid Lister. We have to cut you off because we don't want to neglect our in-studio guests who actually showed up here today, which we're very grateful oh. for. But thank you for calling no. in. Thank you so always, much. Always a pleasure there, Paul. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Goodbye now. Thank you so much, avid listener. Okay, let's get to the people in the room, shall we? Exactly. As Michael said earlier, he is currently on stage at the Los Angeles Theater Center in Juan and John being called a deeply personal and political tour de force. Among his recent screen credits are the acclaimed drama Muslim, the indie comedy Cornerstone, the Jamaican political thriller Better Must Come, and Abduction, directed by John Singleton. He was nominated for the Screen Actors Guild Award for his work in Ridley Scott's American Gangster, where he co-starred with Russell Crowe and Denzel Washington. We are delighted to be joined by Roger Genver Smith. Did I get it right, Roger? Smith is perfect. <laughs> <laughs> Good. That was the one I was worried about. Thank you so much for joining us. We're Absolutely welcome. Nice to be here. Yep. So, Juan and John, yeah. Juan and John. Juan and John. So can you tell us a little, uh, we alluded to it earlier, but can you tell us a little of the journey of this show? You wrote it. I did, yeah. and I perform it at Los Angeles Theater Center four times a week, and it's been a great experience. I did it previously in New York City and in Pittsburgh and in Columbus, Ohio, and in Santo Domingo, the Dominican Republic, which is where one of the subjects of the play is from. Juan Marichal. Mr. Juan Marichal, right. who is a Hall of Fame pitcher for the San Francisco Giants, one of the great pitchers of all time. And... Uh, Marshall is also remembered for having gotten into the most notorious fight in baseball history with a hero of mine, the late Mr. John Roseborough, who was a catcher for the Los Angeles Dodgers. Marshall slammed Roseborough in the head with his bat. August 22, 1965, a beautiful Sunday afternoon in the old Candlestick Park in San Francisco. Koufax was pitching for the Dodgers. Marshall, of course, pitching for the Giants that day. And I happened to be watching that game on television as a little boy and as a Dodgers fan whose nickname was Roger Dodger. And mm. I was so incensed by what Marshall had done to my hero, John Roseborough, that I took Juan Marshall's baseball card out of my collection and I burned it. And I chanted, burn, baby, burn. <sighs> and wow. how, old, how old were you? I was 10, 10, you were 10 at that time and very yeah. impressionable. Obviously, I had just been in front of my family business on Western Avenue in Los Angeles during the Watts riots, 
I had witnessed uh, the block go up in flames, and that's what I heard people chanting going up and down Western Avenue, burn, baby, burn. So then when I was incensed uh, a week later, uh, that's what I chanted as well. And then fast forward to just a couple of years ago when I was putting this play together because it was one of the most traumatic memories of my childhood. Uh, here I am face-to-face with Mr. Juan Marshall. I had arranged a meeting with him, and I did so with great trepidation because I didn't know if I would be able to shake this man's hand. Mm-hmm. He was the greatest huh. villain of my childhood. Um, but he was very engaging. He was very forthcoming. He was very open with me. I didn't know if I would tell him what I had done to his baseball card, but <laughs> because he was being so open with me, I did. And he looked at me straight in the eye and said, Roger, all I can say is, I apologize, and I hope that you can forgive me. Wow. Because he, he realized... He can't ask for more than that, right? Yeah. He realized that he had destroyed the innocence of a child. And um, that was tremendously moving for me and tremendously instructive. And uh, I consider him to be a father figure to me now. Wow. It's, it's a pretty amazing transformation. It's an amazing transformation, but it's also fascinating, uh, Very fascinating. from a from a performance aspect, because here you are playing both people in this piece. You're playing one person who was your is the the hero of your childhood, and you're playing the other person who, at least at that point in time, was the villain Absolutely. of your childhood. Now, how do you, as an actor, give both of them their due? Um, is it just starting in, I mean, obviously it's starting in a place of truth, but it, but it, it had to be a challenge, obviously. Yeah, it's, it's a great challenge, um, but it's a wonderful one, um, being able to morph into both of these guys, one of whom is from Ashland, Ohio, uh, John Roseboro, and the other guys from Santo Domingo, uh, the Dominican Republic. And both with, interestingly enough, the same name, yeah. Juan and John, just different languages. Uh, both of whom broke into uh, Major League Baseball and had to deal with Jim Crow America. Uh, John Roseboro is a black man who grew up in a predominantly white community in the middle of the middle in Ashland, Ohio. Uh, Juan Marshall, of course, grew up in the Dominican, did not deal with racial politics per se until he came to uh, the United States of America and had to ride in the back of the bus, had to live in rooming houses and was not allowed to go to the uh, same hotels that his white teammates were. And, of course, John Roseboro had it the same way, and they were both introduced at the same time to the same sorts of uh, uh, racial politics. Uh, Fast forward to the summer of 1965, the Watts riots. That's where John Roseboro's family was. That's where his home was in South Los Angeles. And in fact, the youngest Dodger that summer, Willie Crawford, who was 18 or 19 years old from South Los Angeles, was arrested after the Dodgers game for curfew violation by the LAPD. So the black Dodgers, after the game that week, they would start going home wearing their Dodgers uniforms. Wow. And that same summer, we had 23,000 U.S. troops occupying the Dominican Republic. And Juan Marichal, who was going all over the United States of America, entertaining stadiums full of people, 50,000 American people, was not able to have any kind of contact with his own family. And he was on his way to the greatest 
uh, pitching performance perhaps in baseball history that year. He had won 14 straight games. He was the MVP of the All-Star game uh, that year. And uh, he was undefeated against the Dodgers in uh, Candlestick Park. And this all came to a head just one week after the Watts uh, uprising, which started August 11th, 1965. And this conflagration in San Francisco was that next Sunday, August 22nd, 65. Something happened so early in your in your life and such a formative thing in your childhood. Uh, obviously, you carry the story with you, you carry the memory with you, but how long was it before you realized you wanted to create a, another piece, a piece of art out of it? In the year 2006, I did another solo called The Watts Towers Project, which is about Simon Odea's mm-hmm. masterpiece in, in Watts. And yeah. If you come to Los Angeles... Forget Disneyland. Yeah. Go to the Watts yeah. Towers yeah. because this is something that one man created over 33 years with no help, no grant, no scaffolding, no power tools, just his own imagination, Simon Rodia. So I talk about Rodia's uh, solo journey, but I also talk about growing up in L.A. And I tell or I told a very condensed version of the Juan and John story because it as I said, was one of the most traumatic memories oh, of within, my childhood. Oh, within the, within within the within that okay. uh, project. Um, and I decided that I should, you know, expand upon this. And so I had an opportunity to meet Marshall, to meet uh, Mr. Roseboro's widow, Barbara, uh, his daughter, and uh, started collecting stories. I had a outrageous, just kind of happenstance, um, meeting with Sandy Koufax <laughs> on the street in the village in New York City when I was putting this piece together. I introduced myself to him. I recognized him, very distinguished-looking guy. Um, introduced myself and say, hey, I'm working on a play about John Roseboro and um, Juan Marachal. And he stopped me cold and said, hey, whatever you hear about what happened that day, it's not true. There's only three people who know what happened that day. Two of them are dead. I said, okay, uh, Mr. Koufax, I'd love to talk to you. And he just cut me off cold and went and got his Chinese food. That was it, huh? That was it. (laughs) Enigmatic. (laughs) (laughs) Mr. Koufax. Oh, man. And he he was pitching that day, so... He has a very distinct memory and was very close to John Roseboro. And um, one wonders, you know, to whom he's exactly referring. And he says, you know, three people know what happened. Two of them are dead. Uh, Shag Crawford, uh, the umpire that day, is passed. And, of course, John Roseboro is deceased. Um, So one would assume that he was the, you know, surviving person who had the knowledge. And he's not counting Marshall because Marshall is a hated giant. Uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> but when Roseboro passed in the year 2002, um, it was Juan Marshall who was his honorary pallbearer. That to me is the most fascinating, and, and I don't know the show, we've only re- read the promotional material about it, but that to me is the most fascinating aspect of the story. And. It might even be better not to tell that because to let people see the show to learn this thing, but uh, that they, wh- where their relationship went, the two men, where, where their... It was a tremendous and almost miraculous reconciliation that 
these two gentlemen who were involved in the most notorious and bloody fight in baseball history uh, should become great friends. Um, but you'll be able to hear the entire story. <laughs> Tell it at L.A. Theater Center <laughs> this Thursday evening at 8 o'clock. I do a repeat performance at 8 o'clock on Friday. And we do two matinees on Saturday and Sunday at 3 p.m. That's at 514 South Spring Street. That's Los Angeles 90014. And so, even though he's taking your job I from you, Michael, <laughs> let's, uh, we I can certainly reiterate it. I'm fascinated it. just listening to him no, no, take it's my job there. I mean, <laughs> really, it's riveting what, what you discussed. I was like spellbound. So I can imagine what they're playing. Must no, be no, it's really, I'm, I'm, I'm very anxious to see it. Uh, especially having an affection for solo shows as I do. Uh, reservations, 866-811-4111. That's 866-811-4111. And online ticketing is www.thelatc.org, not .com, L-A-V-L-A-T-C.org. And, and tickets are reasonably priced. We probably can't say the price on the air. But I'll say that it's all about the Hamiltons. It's <laughs> it's it's internet radio. Nice. You can say whatever you want. Nice. Oh well, no, uh, it's only ten bucks. It's all about the Hamiltons. So and it's and is there an intermission? There is no intermission. It, Love it, it that hour twenty, tight hour, buck twenty, yeah. and even less than an hour twenty. Yeah. You know. yeah. And also uh, suggested here, audiences thirteen to adults. So not uh, is that your recommendation? I think or? I think so because yeah. it's it's. Um, it's deeply emotional. I think it, it, it requires a certain maturity of focus, you know. The uh, the issue of the story of the men and the story of uh, the the tapestry that it's laid against, would you say, obviously there's, there's elements of both, but would you say that it's more about the story of two men or is it more a story of the time? Or... I, th I think it's really a story about reconciliation. Okay. It's about conflict. It's about resolution of that conflict, reconciliation, and hopefully redemption. And within that, there's a great story about baseball. There's um, historical, uh, you know, musings about the period, and you learn a little bit about uh, this guy named Roger Genver Smith as well along the way. Hmm. Well, for someone who forges relationships, you've also uh, in uh, your career have had a, a very uh, successful relationship with Spike Lee. He's been very good to you, and he, he kind of found you, did he not? And well, we found each other, yeah. uh, and I'd like to think that we've been good to and for each other. Mm -hmm. uh, we've collaborated on eight films. Wow. That's beautiful. Um, and I don't know of any actors, even De Niro and Scorsese and, and uh, directors who have collaborated to the extent that we have. Mm -hmm. Uh, starting with a crazy film called School Days about a <laughs> fictitious a uh, co college campus going on to Do the Right Thing, right. where I created the role of Smiley, who actually incinerated the pizza parlor and then put the picture of Malcolm X and Martin Luther King on the wall. Uh, get on the and bus. And that was your idea. Yes, right. yes, it was. And, uh, and all the way through to a Huey P. Newton story, which is a solo performance. Uh, which I did on stage and then adapted into a film version, which Spike directed, uh, I think, quite successfully. Is it a uh, is it uh, 
a filmed version of the stage piece uh, as simple as that, or it were is, other elements has, added? It has uh, live performance elements. We we taped it in front of a live audience, but we also put in archival imagery, okay. and what have you, in a beautiful uh, score by my longtime colleague, Mr. Mark Anthony Thompson, who also does uh, sound and projections for Juan and John. I'm always curious about that transition because you one per, a one person show on stage is meant to be in a room shared with people and that's what it is and then when you have to change mediums like that I mean, there's always a little bit of gravy that needs to be added to the meal to make that transition you know well we did it with um, a brilliant uh, cinematographer by the name of Ellen Curris who employed 12 uh, cameras that were everywhere in the room wow wow and uh, edited by Barry Alexander Brown, a longtime colleague of Spike's as well. And uh, we got this guy uh, from New Orleans, uh, he's from a pretty musical family by the name of Branford Marsalis, to do some <laughs> saxophones. <for laughs> I would say. <laughs> musical, yes. You know, if only you could get some talent <laughs> yeah. involved in the project, you know. Um, yeah, that's on. A, that's a, a PBS uh, piece. That is that rentable? Like, can people Absolutely. find that? You can on, get uh, it on Netflix. You can get it on Amazon. You okay. can get it at the public library. Oh. Um, PBS.org/slash Huey P. Newton. All one word is a great website that we created to okay. go along with that. No, no. Just uh, always good to know. Let, let people nice. know. Where well, once again, see. ladies and gentlemen, you can see Mr. Smith in Juan and John at the Los Angeles Theater Center. Now on stage through November 13th, produced by the Latino Theater Company. Don't miss it. Tickets are modest, and get yourself to something live. It's all about the Hamiltons. That's and right. this That's Thursday right. is a really special evening in downtown Los Angeles. It's the Art Walk. Oh, the Art second, Walk. Yes, it's the second yeah. Thursday of every month. Shana, have you and ever done that? The Art Walk? It's beautiful. It's amazing. Oh, yeah. Tremendous yeah. stuff going on all over downtown, and LATC is right in the middle of it. So coming catch the show yeah. and then you know do the art walk and get some great food and some and some nice uh, refreshments my wife used to work down there and uh, she? she works uh, from home now but uh, when she worked down there we we're all about the art walk and going down there and checking that out and walking around it's just like you know it every time it happens it's you just gave me more incentive to see the show I wanted to see it anyway but now there's more yeah absolutely that. Roger, will you stick around for a while so we can you can chime in on our other points of discussion? It would be my pleasure. I'm really happy to be in Sheena's company. I know that she's doing wonderful work here in Los Angeles, and I am very excited to um, hype not only my own work, but I'm really excited about what's going on in theater in Los Angeles right now. So I think am I. It's mm. the center of theater in our country. Um, and you're right, she and Sheena, you do shine a hell of a spotlight on it. Thank and you. you should be. You, and you have far more opportunity to than us because we're only on one day a week. Right. But uh, and I take she, it. What? And I take it. <laughs> Every chance I can get to get theater into my show, I absolutely do. Yeah, it's no. important. Yeah. I, I like that when, when Roger talks that so many of your stories are about growing up here. I, I grew up on the East Coast originally. I've only been here since I was 13. But still, I think that... This is a city where we make stories about the rest of the world, but it's important that we tell the stories that happen here, too, mm -hmm. because this is an important place. 
And I think a lot of people don't know some of the stories and like, like the Watts Towers, things that are actually happening here. Mm-hmm. And I also think that a lot of people um, mm. don't realize how big and vibrant our theater scene is. I mean, it's one of the biggest in the country right yeah, now. And it just keeps growing and growing. More new theaters all the time. And that's exciting, I think. I, I, it's not only exciting, but it's also it's so difficult it, it, that the the cream rises to the top. You You really have to present something out here. Nothing against any of the other cities, but... It's such a chore to get people out to theater in L.A. It's not like New York. It's not like Chicago where you're, let's meet at a restaurant. We'll just do a cab over for there. Everyone has to drive for the most part. Although now, especially with downtown, with the the way the orange line is, beautiful. there's a lot of options and there. And Hollywood, too. Beautiful yeah. now with and the Noho. Metro. Noho, yeah. with and that Noho. Lancashire stop uh-huh. right yeah. by the El Portal there. Yeah. So, so and now we have the new Overland Rail to Culver City. It's beautiful. Connecting oh. USC to Culver City. Oh, really? Yeah, so. I was not aware of that. Yeah. When do, was that? Is that new? Recent, Just it? recently. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Because so we it's... we became addicted to the Orange Line because it runs like three blocks from our house. That a 14 mile, you know, you train go. all the way to Woodland Hills from Woodland Hills to I sound like the ad. From Woodland Hills to Lancashire in 20 minutes. <laughs> yeah. and you What's can the take one that the goes blue underground line, though? Is it? The, it, is it switches the... at Universal yeah. and then it goes under for downtown. Uh-huh. Right. Okay. Yeah. You can take the blue line to the Watts Towers, get off at 103rd Street. And they just did a thing on the internet about the top 10 cities for mass transit, mm-hmm. and L.A. is 8, believe it or not. Wow. Yeah. We yeah. never thought we'd see that. Yeah. As far as uh, effectiveness versus the number of people that are reliant on it. That, that's also, it's also passive racism, I have to say, and I've encountered this talking to people in other cities. They're just like, oh, L.A. has no, uh, uh, L.A. doesn't have mass transit. It's like... No, it does. It does. It's just that unlike New York and Chicago, it is uh, far more of a break in terms of socioeconomic group, whether you ride the bus or not. You ride the train in Chicago, you ride the train in New York, and you'll have a homeless person next to a millionaire on, on the train. And in L.A., it's like it seems like everyone who makes a certain amount of money drives. But have you noticed yeah. since the economy has gotten so bad, especially in the last three years... Yeah. As buses pass, they're more and more full. Mm-hmm. It used to be you would see a bus pass and there would be five heads on it. Right. Now buses are full and people are standing up like New York. And you look at because the, people don't have cars anymore. Well, look at the orange. Not to go back to the orange line and not to make the whole thing about the mass transit in L.A. Mm-hmm. But uh, the uh, the ridership on the orange line, in three months, they had what they expected to have in two years. It's wonderful. So people were were embracing it. So anyway, yeah, we needed it. Yep. Absolutely. But let's uh, let's uh, talk uh, with our arts calendar, Michael. Do you want me to? Yeah. Do you want to kick yeah. it off, or should I kick it off? Because I know you have a review. Why don't you, you know, in the interest of time, why don't you kick it off? I will. I will do, the bl- uh, do the, the review. Blank Theater Company presents the Santaland Diaries, an outrageously funny one-man play from acclaimed author David Sedaris, one of my favorites, about his experiences as uh, as an unemployed writer taking a job as an elf at Macy's. At first, the job is simply humiliating, but once the thousands of visitors start pouring through Santa's workshop, he becomes battle-weary and bitter, occasionally taking out his frustrations on the children and parents alike. For those of you who like a little spice with their Christmas sugar, this tale of mass marketing, stressed-out sales clerks, drunk Santas, screaming kids, and the general insanity of the holidays is hilarious, witty, sardonic, and unpredictable, mercilessly cutting through the Christmas spirit to point out what crazy things we do as human beings during the holidays. The Sandland Diaries will play from November 19th through December 18th at the Stella Adler Theater in Beautiful. Hollywood. Yes. It actually sounds interesting. Oh, it? the David Sedaris yeah. play, Sandland? It's, it's, it's wonderful. It's hilarious. I have never seen it. Yes. It's no, great. I'd love to see it. 
That's I, right. on the other hand, went to uh, a very anticipated opening over the weekend in the following sense. It is called A Sentimental Journey, the story of Doris Day, which opened at the El Portal Theater over this uh, past weekend, as I said, on Saturday, with Great Britain's Sally Hughes portraying the effervescent film star who millions around the world, myself included, wanted the blue-eyed, blonde, all-American girl next door to be either your mom or your best friend, your girlfriend, or your wife. <laughs> Miss Day's 650 hit single records and 39 movies were not only a calling card to one of the most iconic careers in Hollywood history, but ingratiated her to legions of fans around the globe, who even today remain faithfully fascinated by the now 87-year-old reclusive star who resides in Northern California. Did you say 650? Mm -hmm. That's amazing. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So perhaps it was that same faith and fascination that empowered English uh, playwright Adam Ralston, director Alvin Rykoff, and The Mill at Sonning Theatre, the show's British producers, to bring Miss Day's story to the stage in London last year. Void of nearly all the hearts and roses that made the singer turn to actress, one of the biggest box office and recording stars in the world, A Sentimental Journey not only embraces the records and the movies, but four troubled marriages involving violent and frequent physical abuse, abandonment, and financial extortion, which left a penniless until son Terry Melcher fought for the return of his mother's money. A court awarded the sum of $22 million. Physically and vocally reminiscent of Day herself, Sally Hughes richly embodies the spirit of Day's on and off screen persona, while Connor Sheridan, who portrays Day's son and best friend, Terry Melcher, tells his mother's story with clarity and powerful punch of reality. Remaining cast members Elizabeth Elvin and Nick Waring ably portray multiple characters in Day's life, as does Tom Selwood, who is particularly engaging as both actor and singer. Though the production script its relationship with Day's recordings and the oversimplified set still needs some honing. The story of Doris Day is an infinitely fascinating tale about the complexities of an American icon with Hughes and Sheridan spinning pure gold. The Sentimental Journey plays now through November 20th at the legendary El Portal Theater in North Hollywood. Tickets can be purchased by calling 818-508-4200 or on the theater's website at El Portal Theater. Dot com. And theater is the R-E spelling. We that would be that right. Because that makes a difference. Yeah, is that, that in, the, right. in the main stage or in the studio space? It is in the main stage. Oh, wow. Beautiful. Yeah. And she even... This she is does. Her. She looks just she like She just really does. Is she, Maury Wills mentioned in the play? No. Oh. No. Do you know who that is? I do. I, d I don't. Shortstop for the... Uh, Los Angeles Dodgers. It all comes yeah. back to Number baseball 30. with yeah. you, doesn't yeah. it? It's America. <laughs> she does talk, a, uh, there is mention of a fifth husband, but she won't admit that or deny it. Oh. Isn't Was that it a banjo playing shortstop? They didn't uh, elude to anything but that one statement. <laughs> <laughs> and with banjo playing, he's not speaking in <laughs> euphemisms. Yeah. We should <laughs> So, there you oh, go, man. ladies and gentlemen. For further Beautiful. information about any productions and or events mentioned in today's uh, State of the Arts live calendar, please visit us during the week at stateoftheartsla.com. We also suggest that you drop in at performingartslive.com, where you can search for Southern California events in several different categories happening every day of the week. Every day of the week. Yes. And if you buy theater tickets, yes. whenever possible, buy theater tickets from the people who are producing the production. 
Beautiful. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I don't want to put, say anything about any of the websites that are out there that may offer discounts. I won't na- mention any of them by name. But I will say, try the theater's website first before you go. Because producing theater is an expensive little thing. Yes, it is. That's yeah. I know. You, so, you would know. I would know. Yes. Yeah, Having yeah. produced very expensive theater. And you time. might be able to save yourself some service charges. As that's well. true. That's, well, that's true. That's the big thing. I They're found that out. out hand, yes. Absolutely. I found out that on a lot of the websites, you can do just as well at some of the discount websites, and you save yourself a service charge. That's true. Online ticketing fees really nab you in the end. Yes, they do. Yeah. Especially so, uh, the biggest one of all. They the, take the biggest one Yes, of all. they do. They do. We'll tell you who it is on the web. Begins with uh, a T. <laughs> so, Sheena, your production, the first, uh, which is the last uh, last summer at Bluefish Cove, right? right? Now, the you, it was a brief run that you mounted. It was only two weeks. It right. was like like was it a preview? Like did did you, know, you it, did you know you wanted to move it? It, it or? didn't start out that way. It was supposed to be you know like the Blank Theater and many other theater mm-hmm. companies, the Los Angeles Women's Theater Company, who I'm doing this show through. They have a nice relationship with the Stella Adler. Where some, you know, they when the Stella Adler's available, they pop them in, and and it originally um, they weren't going to do a fall show. They were going to wait until the winter to do their first show of the season. And the Adler had the opening. And last summer at Bluefish Cove, our founder DJ Cox, that was, it's a very personal show for her. It's one of her favorite shows. She's never directed it before, so she decided to to quickly throw a show together. And instead of going through the audition process, basically called actresses that she knew that she felt were the characters and threw us together. So it's kind of been a, a dream cast of, of her envisioning who she would like in each one of the roles she for a show that, that she's loved for 30 years. She knew the piece so well. Yes, and seen and so many yeah. different times here right. at the Fountain. She saw the revival at the Tiffany with Denise Crosby. Um, she had seen it in New York. Uh, she'd seen the original with Gene Smart. It was kind of the role, the lead role, sort of launched Gene Smart's career. Mm. And had never had the opportunity to direct it or produce it herself. So it's kind of a, a fun and honorable thing to be in a show that the, a wonderful creative person, it's it's kind of their favorite thing, and you're bringing it to life. So, oh, yeah. I mean, you know, what a thrill. Yeah, it had know. a successful run prior to this production of, that you're doing, too, right. didn't it? Also in Los it, Angeles? Four or five years ago, it was at the uh, at the Gay and Lesbian Center, and right. my friend Allison Argram was in that show. All right, and, maybe that's um, what I'm thinking of. Uh, Allison from, uh, from Little House on the Prairie. From Little House. Yes, yeah, she's wonderful. Dean, yes. And she came and saw the show last Sunday, and it uh, was fantastic to have her there because she'd done it before. And I just had Denise Crosby on my show last week and here in LA, LA Talk Radio, and we were talking about how amazing it was that she had done it as well. So, you know, it's one of those iconic plays that kind of keeps coming back again mm-hmm. and again. And it's interesting because Roger was talking about how important Juan and John is for, for the African-American experience. In this country, and and last summer at Bluefish Cove is very much that for the gay and lesbian experience mm-hmm. because it's about you know a time where you didn't walk down the street and tell everybody you knew that you were gay or lesbian and right. these little kind of um, you know communities that formed that were safe places for gays to go and the stories about a, a a kind of a very quiet lesbian beach colony on Long Island that nobody knows about and a woman who accidentally wanders into it after getting a divorce and into the middle of this group of friends. And inadvertently winds up falling in love with a woman that she doesn't know is dying. They're kind of there to create sort of the last summer for her. Okay. So it's a very, very personal kind of emotional story. And and it was one of the very first, I think it was the very first all-lesbian plays produced uh, That's what, what Broadway. That's what I was just about it to ask you. The company what? that put it on after the Stonewall riots, they formed. And it's interesting that, that uh, Roger was talking about the Watts riots because this show very much came out of the Stonewall riots in New York. And then um, it even predated Torch Song Trilogy, which was the next show that they did. 
So mm. what was the um, when was it? The theater was formed as a result of the the Stonewall. Right, the company formed as sort of the all gay and lesbian company okay. after the Stonewall riots. They produced Last Summer at Bluefish Cove, and then right after that, they produced Torch Song Trilogy. And that was back when there were certainly gay themes and lesbian themes in films, like the Children's right. Hour. Right. I mean, in, in films and in and in plays, but you didn't actually do an all. I mean, you just it just was a different world. You didn't address things well, like that. Well, and also there were elements, but like especially the one you just uh, mentioned, Children's Hour. Sure. It's a it it was it's all still, in it. It was in it, but it was also presented in a far different way yes. than Last Summer at Bluefish yes. Cove, where it was far more accepting. Like even Boys in the Band, which is true, prob- sure. probably the first one. You know, there there are positive elements in that, but there's also a dark reflection of the perception of the time in that right. play. Very, very much, much so. You know, very you did so. that play, didn't you? I did do that play. You did uh, do that play, yeah. As an actor, I did. yeah, wonderful. Yeah. So uh, it opens this, uh, you said this Friday? This Friday, the uh, 11th of, of uh, November at 11, the Fountain 11, Theater. 11. Isn't that strange? That's, that's good luck. Do oh. you know it is? And, and this, there's yeah. a whole... In I, numerology, I mean, that's a very special day. I just, yeah, yeah. I just got, I sent that to you. You Paul. did, It you was did. an email that I received, mm-hmm. and I never respond to these kinds of things. But it was so interesting. Yeah. It was about what you just said, 11, 11, 11. And uh, and to send it on to other people, and that you would, you know, in four days from that time, money would be uh, appearing uh, at your doorstep. And I thought, yeah, you know what, it's only eight people, so I did it. <laughs> <laughs> and a four-figure check arrived at my door within that four-day time period. Wow. I knew that it was somewhere out there. I just didn't expect it at any time in the near future. Wow. That's beautiful. So I thought that was kind of cool, oh. right? Wow. Sadly, those four figures were all Maybe ones. there'll be one waiting in my so dressing still room on opening one, night. One, 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 yes. I'm thinking not, but I like the idea. <laughs> Maybe four quarters, four dollars, four Hamiltons. Four Hamiltons, yes. Four Hamiltons would make me very, very happy. Beats the hell out of four, four Washingtons. <laughs> Sheena, do you have the uh, information, website information for people to, who want to see Last Summer Blue? I do. You can go to, Los, uh, to L.A. Women's Theater, R.E., the proper way, like Paul was saying. The uh, effective way. L.A. Yeah, Women's Theater Project.org. <laughs> for tickets and we're Friday and Saturday nights at 8 o'clock and Sunday matinees at 2 uh, uh, November 11th through December 18th. Oh, so a more significant run this time. Right, it's a full run this time. Oh, that's great. Yeah. That's great. We'll have to go in and see it and we can talk about it on the radio. Oh, I'm very excited about that. Thank you. And support on Thanksgiving weekend because that's always a tough weekend for theater. So, you know, if you're looking for a way to work off that turkey, (laughs) go to Santa Monica Boulevard. Yes, and also if you're completely fed up with your family at that sure. point and realize that you don't want to have conversation with them anymore, it'd be better to have someone else do the talking. Or even if you That's don't right. have, you know, when I was a kid, I didn't come from a big family, and we spent a lot of time seeing shows on Thanksgiving weekend, Christmas weekend, New Year's weekend. It was kind of what we would do. We would have the turkey, and then we would all go out and see a show because no. we didn't have the family party that lasted for three days. Well, certainly movies thrive. <laughs> and that as well, sure. On Thanksgiving weekend and Christmas yeah. weekend and the New Year's. Yeah, I can't Why go not with my family to that, though. I can't take them to the theater. I can take my mom. I can't take my dad. Why is that? My dad likes to talk in the theater. Mm. Yeah. So it's very unnerving for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You might as well just give him cellophane and just, you know, the whole thing. <laughs> uh, but while we're giving, oh, Sheena just gave that information. I want to give another uh, round of information here for Juan and John. Juan this and John. This is at the Los Angeles Theater Center, and that is at 514 South Springs. 
street, street in beautiful downtown L.A., <laughs> 90013. Reservations, 866-811-4111. Boy, ones are cheap, this show. we got a lot of ones. <laughs> they are. Online ticketing, thelatc.org. And uh, that is suggested for. Would you would you say that there's? I was just going to say that uh, Juan and John has is suggested for audiences of 13 to adult. Would you put an age parameter on last summer at Bluefish Cove or yeah, do you maybe, think it's maybe a, the same one? Maybe the I don't same. Know. Yeah. If you if you're if you're freaked out that your kids might see lesbians, then yeah. <laughs> but I think for I think for younger people, we have a, a our assistant stage manager is just about 16. And when she came, everybody was kind of whispering, you know, don't talk to her about right. the things in the show because she's not a, not 18 yet. You know, this kid knows more than, yeah. than I knew last year. You know, <laughs> she's going to say, so, if yeah, anybody's really, freaked out about their kids, it's yeah. not their lesbians. generation. What's wrong with that Right. It's, it's really it's really yeah. the older generations that have more of the problems. Yes. Kids know everything that's going on, yeah. and they don't care. They're it's, the coolest generation ever. And also, anyone who's concerned about their children seeing lesbians. Right. Probably is not a theater goer in the first place. <laughs> you would think, <laughs> like, you know, but you'd be surprised. It hasn't been encountered <laughs> right. yet. Right. It's not Oklahoma, people. Um, we uh, have a thing that we do at the end yes, of the show. Yes, we do. We always lesbians like in Oklahoma. <laughs> no, I meant the play Oklahoma. <laughs> oh, yeah, in the play. If you're in looking for that. Who do you think Auntie M is all about? <laughs> hey, I played her in high school. Is there yeah. a pattern forming, Roger? I'm a little scared now. I'm a little terrified. Yes, I was Ann Eller in Oklahoma. That's <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> Well, then that perhaps will uh, spawn some stories. It's a good segue. Embarrassing moments. Thanks for the segue, Roger. We're we're, going to do a whole, you know, kind of dissection of Rogers and Hammerstein. Oh, I like that. (laughs) The whole next show. Yeah. Gay themes in Roger and Hammerstein. Oh, I love that. Yeah. Well, they were together. Rogers and Hammerstein, yeah. Is that, is that the universal sign for together? I the two indexes no coming together? Oh, I like that, though. Was that sort of a phallus? Game windshield wipers. One and one. Yeah. One and one. <laughs> Back to the ones, always. We uh, always ask our guests at the end of the show to share their either funniest or or oddest onstage or performance nightmare, anything that happened during performance that is uh, might people might find interesting. I don't know if uh, either of you have any stories that you can share about Something that happened to you on stage. Of course they do. Funny. Of and, course uh, they do. Oh, uh, yeah. I have, actually, it's interesting because I, I have a scene in Bluefish Cove where... Oh, I, recent. I, oh, cool. I have a good one for this one, sure. Yeah. I have to sit, you know, on its rock. And it's only about a foot and a half from the audience. And and cry. And it, it and I'm you know I'm mostly a comedic actor so this is kind of a first time for me to do something like this. Well, it never fails when my friends come. They sit themselves in front of that rock, <laughs> and I don't know what it is that I have to sit in front of my in the rock in front of my friends. So last week at our closing performance at the Stella Adler, I was sitting there and uh, I heard bawling. And my friend Allison, as I was saying, had come to see it with her husband, and I was on the rock crying. And I thought, oh my God, I've made Allison cry, and now I don't know what to do. And afterwards, everybody was coming out and saying hello to me. And Allison walked up and she said, oh, did you hear the crying during the last scene? That was Bob. <laughs> and so it was her husband bawling by the rock. So I just have to get used to the fact that I'm going to hear my friends cry all the while I'm trying to get my, you know, but nice grieving that, motivation. But you were focused enough that it didn't throw you. Like no. you took it in. No. You know, and, but, but you, you can't not hear it because yeah. literally. And now at the fountain, I think they're even maybe 10 inches closer. And you can the hear fountain. that. <laughs> you mean at the, at the mountain theater? At the, at the I'm lounge. sorry, at the lounge theater. Okay, okay, where, where, yeah. I'm sorry, my fault. Where they're actually closer now, so you you can't miss it when your friends are literally crying in your ear during the show. 
Don't you love it that people think that you're on television? And I'm sure you've encountered this. They're eight feet away from you, and they think that, you know, there's that wall and that they can't be heard or seen or anything. I had to stop the show when I was doing Straight Up in New York. Just a guy in the front row with the nachos in the plastic lidded thing. And he wasn't sharing them. And I I said no jalapenos. I always specify, and yet they were all over. So, anyway, Roger, do you have a tale to share? Oh, sure. Um, (laughs) The first play I ever did... In high school, I was actually an understudy for the lead. I was playing a much smaller role, but the lead got mononucleosis, as high school kids do. And so I had to go in very nervously, and I had a costume change where I had to put on a T-shirt that had a pocket in the front one, a pocket tee. But I put on the T-shirt backwards, so the pocket was in the back, <laughs> and I didn't realize it until I'd come off stage. It was never now. It was never actually a functional pocket. You didn't need it for anything. No, did I didn't. But it was probably pretty funny as I made my exit. There's the pocket in the back. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Or it was a fashion statement. We started a whole new be, trend. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The next day, now, everyone's sure. walking around the high school with yeah. their pockets yeah. in the back. Oh, the cool guy in the show did this. Yeah. You are the most. I think you're probably the most classy man we've had on this show, don't you think? Mm-hmm. Seriously, as yeah. a guest? Uh, oh, as a guest, yes. Yeah. Okay, I thought you were including <laughs> Next to Paul. the host. Next to, no, yes. you are. You're, you're, you're speaking, and, and the, and, uh, the timbre of your voice is very interesting. I'm fascinated by you, and uh, it only makes uh, you a, a very good actor, I'm sure. Thank you so much for um, that compliment. It was a compliment. And that it is was. a compliment. I mean, oh, yeah. I mean that's and, a compliment, um, considering we had Richard Chamberlain on. So that's a yeah, pretty good... Well, uh, <laughs> wow. No, I, I, I pay attention to people's voices, and uh, yours is certainly Thanks. very smooth. And nice, the energy. Nice right up there and the energy. It's a very There's a beautiful energy. energy that comes out of Roger's voice. Yes. That I they almost feel like I'm a little bit in a meditation class as he's speaking. Yeah. I'm getting very relaxed. Yeah. 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 Don't get too relaxed okay, out there on the 405. Yes. Um, who who else was a very elegant guest we had was um, was George uh, Chakiris from uh, George Chikiris? from West Side Story. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he was he was just very he was sort of uh, very sort of Zen like and intense as well. That's right. And Ann Archer, uh, who recently joined us, was yeah. also very very elegant. Yeah. She know. she hit me before when she left. Yeah. She did across she did. the face. Struck me about the face She's and neck. <laughs> <laughs> yes. She's not nearly as nice as people oh, think. Oh, I see. That's just a... Okay. She was a doll. Facade. She yeah, was a doll. She was we had her last week with Jim J. Bullock on the show. That he was, was wonderful. I met him in the lobby. Yeah. Lovely. Has he been on your show? No. Oh, you have to have him on. He's I would a, love that. We're so delighted that both of you came in today and we were able to put a spotlight on Absolutely. very good theater in Los Angeles, yes. as is our job here. It is our And job. Uh, we will put all of this information about these productions on our website as Wonderful. well. Absolutely. And that is stateoftheartsla.com. That's stateoftheartsla.com. If you want to talk about anything on the show, feel free to call in. Or you can send us an email at stateoftheartsla at gmail.com. So many dot coms in So our many lives, dot coms, isn't it? yes. And wow. So, but uh, thank you both. Roger, thank you. Great to have you. And Sheena, thank you. If anybody can call in and name the first baseman for the Los Angeles Dodgers 1965 team, they will win two free tickets to Juan and John. Call in now.
You have you have one minute to do it. Folks. You only have one minute one to minute. call. In. Operators are waiting. The first baseman for the 1965 Los Angeles Dodgers, <laughs> number 28. Well, we'll make it one better. If you know the answer to that question, send an email with the answer to stateoftheartsla at gmail dot com, and the first correct answer that we get time wise on the submissions, dun, we dun, will dun, send dun, to the theater. Let's play it off the air. You're listening to State of the Arts with Michael Sterling and Paul Strolley right here on L.A. 